That was our last Sunday. But, uh, and I'm a teacher. I was telling everybody I'm a teacher, so I'm going to put my teacher face on and I'm going to teach because even when you don't feel like teaching, if you're called to be a teacher, you're going to get up there and you're going to smile and you're going to teach. That's what we teachers do. So that's my plan right now. Um, and I will miss all of you so much. And last week I was talking to Pastor Doug and Kathy, and um, I was saying that you guys have been like, and I couldn't come up with a word. I'm like, they must think that I didn't think they were anything to us. And then I, I put the word in, which is, was family, but it just didn't seem like it was enough. I know family is so very important, but I finally came up with the word. The correct word is everything. Y'all have been everything to us. And uh, Pastor Doug, I've loved every sermon. Every one, every single one. And I've learned every single Sunday. And you are the reason I prayed for my first stranger. And I thank you so much for that. It's changed my life. I will always be a Shreveport Vineyard girl. I'm serious. If you cut me, I'll bleed purple. <laughs> and so, <laughs> even though we're, mo we're moving, it just means that um, we're just going downrange. You know, we're still Vineyard. We're still Shreveport Vineyard, and we always will be. And so, um, I'll say more to y'all after this, and I have presents for y'all and everything. Um, but I'm entitling this message today as, You Were Born for Such a Time as This. And that's Esther 4.14, and Esther was born for such a time as that she lived. God made her a queen for a very specific purpose, to save the Jewish people. Acts 13.36 says, For David served the purpose of God in his own generation. And that, that is a message for all of us. We are here at a specific time for specific reasons to further the kingdom of God. And um, The Bible also says that we should discern the sign of the times. And if we do that, one thing we'll be able to do is pinpoint the destination of our prayers and pinpoint our actions. And... For me personally, I've always thought globally, ever since I was a little girl, and grew up in a trailer park, and there was a swimming pool, a public swimming pool in that park, and it was a rectangular pool, and I remember going there, and um, instead of swimming, I was this weird child that would walk around the outside of this rectangle, and I would, at every corner, I would pretend that I was in a new country, pretending to speak to foreign people that didn't exist. So instead of swimming, I was walking around the pool pretending that I was somewhere else. And so you look back at your life and you think, that can't be an accident. You know, there's, there's got to be a reason for that. And um, I think one reason we don't necessarily pray for something on a global scale is that we are so physically removed that we don't think about what is happening in our other parts of the world or our lives get so busy that... All of a sudden, uh, we just think about what's going on in our own family, our own house, our own jobs, or whatever. And so that may be the way we live until something might happen. That gives us a reason to pray 
or take other actions. You know, I found this out while living in Japan. Um, I was all about, I'm going there, I'm going to talk to the foreign people, like uh, at the swimming pool, and I'm going to eat the food, and I'm going to go to Tokyo Disneyland, and I'm going to climb Mount Fuji, and, you know, all of that was part of the experience, until one day, North Korea launched a long-range missile over Japanese airspace, and it landed 150 miles from Misawa Air Base, Japan, where we lived. And then all of a sudden, we were forced into thinking about what's going on in the world. And we were contacted by the base, and they said, you need to have a bag packed and ready all the time. They said, if something happens and you must be evacuated, you will go to point A, and you will take your pets to point B. And to me, that was like a death sentence. I thought, surely they can get us off the island, but they probably won't get the pets off the island. So I always had in the back of my mind, I was going to call my Japanese friend to come get my dogs and my cat so that they would make it out as well. And that's when I knew we needed to pray. All of a sudden, that need was right in front of my face. And North Korea is a threat, and it's still there, and it's getting worse. And so I'm going to kind of focus on two parts of the world today, uh, Asia and the Middle East, and we need to definitely start praying over those sections of the world. They all need Jesus. Um, pray, for the, pray for the people of North Korea because they're being starved. Um, their dictator is, I think, worse than the one before. Um, and pray for the brave missionaries who are still finding a way to bring the gospel in, into that place. But then I think of Japan. Japan was so wonderful, and they were so sweet, the people. We never locked our car. We never locked our house. I walked around Tokyo at night by myself and never had a problem. But Japan's population of Christians is 1%. Out of 127 million people, it's 1%. Now, they claim to be Buddhist and Shinto, but they're not religious. It's only for their festivals and those sorts of things, and so their traditions. So I think some people are difficult to reach. Um, I think if people rely so much on their intelligence and their success and their money, too much money, too much head knowledge, too much tradition, they feel like they don't need a savior. So we need to find a way to reach people. Now, I've always, you know, I've been uh, getting better and better in uh, reaching out to people around Shreveport and Bossier and seeking out the homeless. But what about people like the Japanese? What about people like the Muslims? It's a different, it's a completely different ballgame. And one thing I've noticed that has opened the door for the gospel to that part of the world, Asia, has been natural disasters. Um, Japan has many natural disasters. Um, and we can't know specifically, you know, why certain ones occur. But we do know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purposes. And in times of trouble, such as natural disasters, Christians are the ones deploying ministries of compassion. We're going there. We're giving food. Clothing, shelter, water. 
And after the Philippines disaster, fairly recently, I read about a ministry organization and what they were doing there. And the director was happy to say in this article, Christians are on the move. I like that so much because that is what we're called to do. We're not called to be in the four walls of the church. We're to be on the move. We're to be discerning the sign of the times, what is coming. And when I hear that, it makes me so proud to be a Christian. So even though not all the people will be open to the gospel, they will know it was the Christians who came. They will know it was the Christians who came to help and that we were the ones bringing the light of Jesus through our acts, acts of compassion. I don't know if you guys remember little Elijah. He's the little six-year-old boy, the Morgan's uh, son, who had come to this church for quite some time. And uh, he's, uh, I still see him on Wednesday nights because we, we teach Royal Rangers and um, Impact, and he's still there. And um, one of the days, uh, a couple weeks ago, I said to him how much I enjoyed seeing him every Wednesday night. I said, I, I love seeing you, Elijah, every Wednesday. He goes, I love seeing you too. I said, I am going to miss seeing you so very much. He goes, I'm going to miss seeing you so very much too. Then he said, and this blew me away, he said, can I be honest with you? <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah, the truth is always the best answer. He said, how do I say this in a nice way? So I'm like, that doesn't sound so nice. <laughs> he goes, you're a star. You always brighten up my world every time I see you. And, you know, after that, I, I've melted, of course, onto the ground. And, and after I got over myself, so to speak, I realized that it wasn't me that he was seeing, that he was seeing the, the bright star of Jesus. And so I was so happy that um, he could see that in me. Um, you know, and Jesus says in Revelation 20, 22, 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root of the offspring of David and the bright morning star. And so we are called, even if we don't know what to do, even if we don't know how to reach the Japanese people, if we can't get into North Korea to reach the North Korean people or whatever, we are called to be the bright morning star. And if you can't think of anything else to do to reach them, be the light. Start with that. So we need to focus our prayers in this day and age and be that star. And obviously another part of the world who is desperately need, in need of Jesus is the Middle East. Again, you know, it can be easier to be less focused on world events that don't directly affect us. And I'm speaking of ISIS. Now, ISIS obviously is the Islamic State. And we've been seeing that on the news. And you just, it just kills your heart when you, you hear of a, somebody from the West um, being beheaded. Um, and of course, that just it, just, it really affects you. But there's still a sense of separation from that. We don't know necessarily our brother has had this done to them, or our sister has had this done to them, or a cousin or uncle or something like that. But ISIS is changing the face of the world, and I say that because um, they are starting to take a, a longer reach around the world. And something recently uh, very disturbing happened in Shreveport, Bossier, and I don't know if you heard on the news or not, but ISIS... Um, 
it's been reported in the news that they have obtained names, addresses, phone numbers, pictures of military members in this country. Um, they have uh, not only done this, they've obtained the names, pictures, phone numbers, and addresses of military members' parents. And it has affected, reportedly affected Barksdale. Um, 20 out of 100 of the names are from our base. And so all of a sudden, again, like when I was in Japan and North Korea did that crazy thing that they decided to do, all of a sudden now it's in your face again. Now the threat becomes real. I'm thankful to God that they didn't find Mike and I and they didn't find my parents. But I think part of it is because I'm not on Facebook. I don't uh, put my information on there anymore. And in fact, I'm trying to virtually delete myself um, in many ways to you know, protect our family and um, our interests. And so we really, really, really need to be in prayer for our military. Um, and you know, the, the message to those, the families and the people that they had gotten those names from were to, if there's any sympathizers in the United States or any ISIS members, to go ahead and kill them. And so the difference with North Korea and, well, there's many, many differences, but one of the differences between North Korea and what they threaten and ISIS and what they threaten, ISIS is beheading people. You know, when they first th started threatening people, I thought, ah, they're not really going to do that. They're just saying that. Well, no, they are doing that. And so, we need to be praying for our military. You know, and uh, something that you said, Pastor Doug, so many times is that uh, we should pray for angels of fire to protect us. And we should do that if you're not in the military. Pray for angels of fire to protect your families. Pray for angels of fire to protect your homes. Um, I did this one time. Uh, well, I do this a lot. But one time, God supernaturally showed me that he did exactly what I asked him to do, which I love uh, when that happens. Not that we see to have faith. We have faith and then sometimes see. That's how it should be. But even if we don't see what he is doing, it doesn't matter. We know that his promises are true and that he will do what he says. So I was driving in Nebraska, driving to our home. And there had been a weird man, like, walking around the neighborhood and knocking on doors and trying to sell, you know, something. And I just felt really, I had a horrible feeling about this guy. And so I just prayed for angels of fire to stand on my porch. And so when we drove home that day, I parked the car and I started walking up to the porch. And just as I crossed the threshold right onto the porch, I got an over, overwhelming smell of roses. And we, don't, we didn't even have any roses or any flowers at all in the front yard. And I, I can liken it to be like the scene in um, The Wizard of Oz when Dorothy falls asleep in, in the poppies. And the field goes forever. It was like there that was a field of roses so strong like that. And I knew God had placed an angel of fire on my porch. And so, 
please, please do that for your families. Do that for your homes. But the next thing is, we want to pray against Muslim extremists, but we also need to pray for the gospel to reach the Muslim people. So how do we do that? Now, right now, going to the Middle East to preach the gospel, kind of scary. I would definitely need a very clear calling from God to go. But there are missionaries still going and other persecuted Christians living in that part of the world. Again, in Nebraska, we listened to a missionary that came to the church that we were going to, and he was someone who came to, I guess it was Iraq, he uh, was a Christian with his wife and family, and they went there to start a fishery, because of course you know that if you're going to a foreign country, you can't say, I'm a missionary, let me in. You know, you have to have a skill, and you have to go sort of under the radar, and uh, his skill was fishing. <laughs> kind of ironic there, he's fishing for souls, but anyways, he was uh, helping this other family uh, start a fishery. So he met this uh, Iraqi man, got their fishery going, and it was becoming very successful. The man was so happy he could feed his family, and he could also uh, make a little money. And so he trusted, he began to trust the American that had helped him, the Christian that had helped him. And then shortly after that, uh, the American Marines showed up at this missionary's house, and they said, well, I'm sorry to tell you, but the Taliban knows where you are. They know who you are, and they know your purpose for being in this country. We've listened to chatter on our um, radios, and your lives are in danger, and you need to immediately leave. This is the boldest statement, one of the boldest statements I've ever heard. The man said, but God didn't tell me to leave yet. God didn't tell me to leave yet. So, guess what he did? He stayed. The man stayed. And this is what happened. This is the reason God told him to stay. All that next week of him meeting this guy every single day to check on the fishery, God kept saying, you need to tell him about Jesus. You need to tell him about Jesus. Now, that's a scary thing. Already the Taliban knows you. They want to get rid of you. And God, you're telling me to tell this man about Jesus? What if I tell him and then they... They just deliver us to the Taliban. Very scary thing. But after five days of God still saying, you need to do this, you need to do this, he finally got up the courage, and he went to the man, and he had a Bible, and he had a picture of Jesus. And he says to the man, I really need to tell you about this awesome guy named Jesus. And here's a picture of him. And he shows the man the picture. And the man said, that's not what he looks like. And the, man, the American missionary is like, what are you talking about? No, this, this, this really is Jesus. He goes, no, he looks a little different than that. He's been coming to me in my dreams for a week. So, uh, yeah, so good thing he stayed, right? He goes, I need that Bible of yours. He goes, I got it right here. And that is how that Muslim man was reached. And so even in the most impossible situations, God will work it out. We just have to be willing to be used by him. 
And so shortly after that, uh, they made it out of the country. And uh, I don't know what they're doing now, but uh, good thing he stayed. So be in prayer for dreams. Pray effectively. Say, God, bring the Muslim people dreams of who you are. If it's too dangerous for us to go, send, a, send yourself in a dream. But, again, we need to be discerning the sign of the times. Muslims are beginning to move to other parts of the world, including America. In December, 9,000 Syrian refugees were granted permanent refugee status in the United States of America. A total of 75,000 will be arriving in the next five years. Because of the brutal civil war, the United Nations have sent 115,000 to America from Iraq post 9-11. Another 100,000 Muslim Somalians have resettled here. The numbers continue to grow in the U.S. Once they are resettled, because they have many more children than Americans do, they average six to our 1.86 children per family. And another disturbing trend is that they're reaching uh, our prisons. 80%, I've looked this up at many different sites, they're saying 80% of the African-American men incarcerated when they are not, when they do not have a religion yet, come out converted to Islam. But the problem is they're converted to the radical Islam. And so another way to reach uh, these people for the Lord, start a prison ministry. Be the ones going into the prisons and saying, you need Jesus. You don't need radical Islam. The reason, um, and it's very calculated as to why the radical Islamic people are choosing to infiltrate the prisons is because prisoners that are already there, lawless radicalism, um, so different from American uh, justice. Um, and so we need to be going in there and saying, no, you know, this is Jesus, you need him. And I don't know if you heard about uh, recently in the news, the Muslims have also been fleeing Myanmar this week. Uh, because of persecution and poverty and starvation. They've been um, on these overcrowded boats, and you know how overcrowded boats are. They a lot of times capsize or um, fights break out because there's lack of food, lack of sanitation, lack of water. And so they've been trying to get into Thailand and Malaysia and these other sort of Muslim countries that will take them. And even these countries are, are pushing them back out to sea to say, we don't want you here. Um, you're just going to wreck our way of s our system because there's too many of you coming. But um, I also read in the news recently that um, America said if these countries won't take them, we will. So America, again, in a, a humanitarian sense, is saying, well, we'll take these Muslim boat people in, in case Thailand and Malaysia don't. Thailand and Malaysia decided to finally take in these refugees.
And also, um, Muslims have become a major part of the population uh, increase in Western Europe. Did you know that the most popular boy name in England is Mohammed? The most popular uh, boy name in the world overall is Mohammed. From 2001 to 2011, the, the Muslim population in England has doubled. White English people in London are now the minority. And things are the world is changing. It's undeniably changing. And of course, there's debate about Muslims coming to our country. Again, what if they become radicalized? What if, uh, what if that happens, you know? Again, we're going to need to just keep praying over our families, our nation, our military. And apparently there are people that um, are very wealthy and very powerful that are, are saying who comes to our country and who doesn't. I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm noticing more Muslims just in our communities, um, in my everyday life. And um, at first I was like, I don't even really think to talk to them because what would I say? You know, I don't know how to reach them. I, this is something new. But it's something that we need to start paying attention to because it's going to continue growing. Again, dreams, shining the light of Jesus, those are all obviously two things that we should be doing. The Bible says, be ready at all times to answer anyone who asks you to explain the hope you have in you. But do it with a gentleness and respect, 1 Peter 3, 15 through 16. And uh, I had another supernatural experience happen uh, relating to Muslims uh, when I was at the hair salon getting my hair done, of all places, right? So I'm sitting in this, I was at Saturdays on airline, and I was sitting in the chair, and they were, it takes a long time to dye my hair, because, well, anyways, we'll talk about that later. But so I'm in the chair, I'm getting my hair dyed, and this uh, man walks in with his two children, and they sit next to me in a different station. And I wasn't sure, they kind of looked Muslim, but I wasn't sure if they were or not, until the man's phone rang, and it sounded like, like a Muslim prayer or something like that. I'm like, that's definitely a Muslim family there. And so he had brought him, himself and his sons to, to get their hair cut. So they got their hair cut, and then they left, and another little girl next to them on the other side. So it was like, I'm here. Um, the Muslim family was here. And there's another little girl here getting her hair cut. She's an American girl. And she looks over at where the Muslim family had been sitting. And she goes, look at those frogs. Frogs? The lady, the lady cutting her hair said, what are you talking about frogs? The little girl said, you let frogs in here? And she's like, well, no. But... In the spirit, frogs stand for, like, demonic presence, something bad. The, I couldn't see the frogs. I was unhappy about that. I wanted to see them <laughs> for myself. But this little girl could see in the spirit, and she saw them. And so it is false. We need to reach them uh, for Jesus. And so another time, uh, I was at the roller skating rink. I love to roller skate. That's the only sport I was ever good at, roller skating. And so all of a sudden, we're at, we only go on Christian night. Thursday night is Christian skating night. And so we always go there because they play Christian music. And so I'm skating all around, and there's really not that many people there. And then all of a sudden, a huge family of Muslims show up. And I'm looking at them like, 
that's really weird. They're here on Christian skating night. What are they doing here? They must have made a mistake and they just don't know it's Christian skating night because why else would they show up? And I was kind of annoyed because I think it was the very first time they'd ever put roller skates on. And so they are going like in every direction possible except the right direction. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to fall. Something's going to happen. They're going to trip me or something. So initially I was unhappy about that, but then I'm like, this, there must be a reason. God, accidents just don't happen. They're here for a reason. So I'm going to figure out what to do. I don't know anything about Islam, but I'm going to figure something out. And so guess what starts happening? The kids, they can't skate. They keep falling. I'm like, well, I'm going to pick them back up. I'm good on skates. I'll just pick every one of them up. They keep skating around and falling, and I keep following them around and picking them up and smiling the whole way. And then one of the Muslim mothers falls. And I think, uh-oh, these little kids love me, but I don't know about this lady. She might not want me to help her up. But I went over there anyways, and I, I reached my hand down, and she reached her hand up, and I picked her up. And, uh, you know, our eyes met, and it was kind of a weird experience because I'm not sure what she's thinking of me, and I, I'm not sure what I think of her, you know, but I know God loves her. And um, at the very end of the night, she came, well, after they left, she came to my table and uh, she said, thank you so much for helping me up. And so it made such an impression on me that, you know, we need, to, we need to be reaching out with that love, even if it's a simple, I'm helping you up off the floor or something like that. But remember that when you're working for Christ, there is a cost. There's always a cost. And so the cost for me that night was after they had gone, they left early. I was still there. Bad things started happening to me. Like, I'm an expert roller skater. I can go forwards. I can go backwards. I can go sideways. You name it. I got it. Right? And so I was skating backwards really, really fast, and all of a sudden something stopped me. Something hit the back of my skate, and I flew backwards and got whiplash. I haven't fallen since I was a child. So I was like, that's... That's not good. And then I was over by the wall talking to Michael, and all of a sudden, for no apparent reason, my toe stop just completely falls off my skate. Now, how does that happen? You're just going along, and your toe stop just falls off. I mean, that seemed very strange to me. That, in my whole years, 42 years of living, has never happened in my life. So I felt like, you know, me praying in the spirit for these people and, helping them, the devil didn't like it. And so be prepared that if you're working for God, it's not always an easy road. You may, you're going to have opposition there. And, but the greatest thing about God is that he shows you that he's got you. He shows you that even through all of the danger, he is with you. And it happened through Wanda. That night that all those terrible things had happened to me, um, I told Kathy and everybody about it on Sunday, and Miss Wanda said that night that all that happened to you, I had a dream. And in the dream, I was in the hospital, and I was a nurse, and the doctor in the hospital was going to give my, me my assignments for the night. And he said, the first person you need to pray for is in that room over there, and it's Delana. And she walked in that room and prayed for me.
so even if you're in a dangerous situation and you're working for God and you've got prayer warriors all around you, you're going to be all right. And you just keep going. Because you know in the deepest part, the depth of your heart, that what you're doing is the right thing and you could never choose something else. Once you choose Jesus and you have him so far down, you can't possibly get rid of him. And so um, as far as, uh, you know, going deeper in this conversation about Muslims, it's very important that we know uh, not necessarily everything about Islam, but we need to know basic facts. Did you know that Muslims know more about Christianity than we know about Islam? And so because of that, at this point in our walk and our faith, if you try and witness to a Muslim, they're going to shut you down because they know all the answers that they have already built up in their minds of what to say to you. But we don't have any comebacks because we don't know anything about Islam. Or most of us don't. And, um, you know, if you learn about Islam, it doesn't mean that you're accepting anything about Islam. We're just using that knowledge as a tool to reach them. And obviously, the vineyard is called to bring the power of Jesus through miracles and signs and wonders. And so it's okay to befriend a Muslim. It's, you're not going to become, you know, like them or something like that. And it's not something that we should fear because we're praying. And we've got Jesus, and he's proving that to us, um, that he's with us. And so let the Holy Spirit lead. If there's a Muslim in your store, go out and talk to him. That's what I'm starting to do. If an opportunity arises and you befriend a Muslim and they need prayer, pray for them. What's interesting about Islam is that they know Jesus. They, Jesus is a person to them. I didn't know they knew Jesus or even uh, believed that he was real. They believed Jesus was a prophet. They believe in our major prophets of the Bible. They are told that one of the main, the main books that they're supposed to read in their lifetime are the four Gospels of our Bible. But they also believe that the Bible was corrupted, just as many other false religions believe that the Bible has been corrupted so much that you cannot rely on it. And because they believe that it was so altered, Muhammad, their prophet, came and fixed it, and it became the Quran. That's their belief. So, right out of the start, we have some kind of similarity because they know Jesus. They may not know, they don't know that he's our, the Savior, but they know his name. They know the four Gospels of the Bible. But there's another problem, another difficulty in reaching Muslims, and it's our culture. Because Islam is their religion, their culture, their law. And in our situation, um, many times as Christians, we say we're Christians, but we live so differently. It doesn't permeate our entire culture. So oftentimes they see our American culture and think that that's what being a Christian is. 
They see our lawlessness. They see our greed, our deceit, our um, love for money, all of these things. They don't want any part of that. And so, in a sense, we should take the stick out of our own eye before we're trying to take the log out of their society and what they've got going on because we as Christians are not perfect. We as a culture are not perfect. We Americans need to pray that our country turns back to Christ. So, in conclusion, think outside of the four walls of this church. Think outside of Shreveport Bossier. Think globally. See the signs of what's to come. You know, a lot of people, a lot of uh, people that study the prophecies of Revelation, they say that the revived Roman Empire means Rome, means Italy. Something is coming out of Italy. But I've seen a lot of literature that states that uh, a lot of the maps that were from the Bible times, the Roman Empire included what today are countries that are Islamic, such as Turkey. So, um, Doug, you can probably speak better on that than I can, but what I'm saying is um, there is a rise in Islam, and they're, they're moving, and they're coming here, and I don't know what that means for the future, but... Uh, we just need to keep trusting in the Lord, discerning the sign of the times, um, shining the light of Jesus, and all those other things that we talked about because the world is changing. And keep praying for each other. Uh, keep praying for the military. Please keep praying for missionaries. And pray for what God would have you do. You know, pray for encounters with not just homeless people, not just, you know, southern homeless folks around here. Pray for... Uh, stepping out in faith and reaching a Muslim. So um, I'd like to pray for this church. Um, if you want to bow your heads, let's, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, I pray that you bless this church. I pray for healing and strength for this body to accomplish your will in this day and in this age. God, give us all opportunities and boldness to shine the light to the unchurched in our nation, and to people around the world. Give us that holy boldness, Lord. Come and be a part of all that we're doing for you. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Um, I did want to give out a couple of gifts real quick before we uh, have our meal together. Um, hopefully I have it up here. Miss Kathy? I have something for you, ma'am. And uh, this is something that maybe only a handful of the people in the world have. And I wanted you to have it. This bracelet I'm wearing is symbolic of my husband's 20 years in the military. Each of these charms represents a squadron and a place and a country and a time. I look at this, the charm bracelet and I see, oh, that's where my kids were born. Oh, that's... Nebraska when we were there and all these sorts of things it has a lot of memories on it and um, I had 
I pulled some strings for you, ma'am, and I asked the commander spouses of many squadrons to lend me, to loan, not to loan me, to give me some of these charms for a bracelet of your own. And um, it's very symbolic, and I know that um, you're not an Air Force wife or anything, but I wanted to tell you that two of the charms on there are from the 96th Bomb Squadron and the 20th. And those are the ones that are on the battlefield. You, ma'am, are on the battlefield. The second operation support squadron is a squadron that supports the mission. You are supporting the mission. The 11th bomb squadron is a teaching squadron. You are teaching the people and the kids for the mission. The green one is a group charm that represents command. You are one of the best command spouses in the army of God, in the army of God that I've ever known. You've earned that bracelet ten times over. And so many people have been changed because of your selflessness. I don't know how else to thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Pastor Doug? <laughs> I don't actually have your coin today, but I want you to come up anyways. Um, I selected something for you because I know your love of Israel. And I was so happy when you got to go there and see where Jesus had walked and to experience that. And so I purchased you a coin that was the first one printed in 1948 after Israel became a state. And what's so ironic about that coin is on the back of it, it has a cluster of grapes. And so it is coming all the way from Israel to your house. If it's not there by the 15th of June, let me know. <laughs> but, sir, I have, I've grown so much because of your love of Jesus. And you have remained pure and unwavering in that love. And because of that, this entire church has grown in our faith and in all the things that we're capable of doing. And I will never forget that, and I will treasure that forever. Thank you for being such an awesome shepherd to your people. And so for everyone in here, I have uh, either a coin for you. Um, you men get coins. I don't know why it's a coin thing. Everybody gets coins. <laughs> but... Uh, this coin I picked for all of you says Onward Christian Soldiers, and it has an American flag blended with a Christian flag. And on the back it says, Marching as to War. We are not divided, all one body we. And so I hope that you keep this 
maybe when you're feeling down or you just need a reminder that we are in a Christian army serving together side by side and we will not relent. And I have a special uh, coin for Jesse. Um, your family, um, I, I, all the families in here have a special place in my heart, but I found this particular one for you, Jesse, because you're starting out as a, an officer in the, in the sheriff's department. And so this is a coin, a St. Michael's coin, and it says patron saint of law enforcement. And it says police officer on it. And so all the days that you're out there on the beat or whatever you're doing in the jail or something, uh, we're going to be praying for you. So here's your coin. And you men, all those Christian uh, soldier coins are going to be in the back. And all you ladies, I have a lovely uh, bracelet for each one of you um, that have crosses on them. And so don't ever forget how much you're loved and uh, by God and by our family. And we thank you for everything that you've done for us. And we truly, truly feel that you are family and you are everything to us. Oh, wow. <clears throat> you've given so much. It's just to give more is just amazing. So amazing. Do you want to do the prayer now? Or okay. Are you up for standing for a bit, you and your family? How many of you like to do some prayer? I pray for them. The message was awesome. It was very timely. It was one presented a lot better than I ever could, and I appreciate it because it's a much-needed addressed message, and uh, especially for the days, weeks, months, years to come. So appreciate that so much, and uh, make, I'll make plenty of copies for next week. But we like to pray for the family, and, uh, and not just Kathy now. I mean, Kathy can come up, but whoever would like to, why don't we bring the family up if that's all right? Because uh, we like to pray for the family. And, uh, and not just Kathy now. I mean, Kathy can come up, but whoever would like to, why don't we bring the family up if that's all right? Because uh, 